0: farming program with Arroquist Steel Stockholders Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham For all your steel needs call their friendly experts
1: A couple of weeks ago we asked the question Can a farm business really be both profitable and sustainable Today we'll hear from a Lincolnshire farmer with his answer
2: The two sort of go hand in hand You need to be profitable to be sustainable and you have to be sustainable to have a future in farming.
1: And rain, rain, and more rain this last week. After the very hot and dry summer, Are we now back in balance? Having seen cracks three inches wide and 14 inches deep at
3: least in fields this year at harvest, it's a little unexpected that the water hasn't moved more quickly than it
1: has. More on that, plus agronomy advice from crop doctor Sean Sparling, a catch-up with LRSN and Virgin Money with a quick review of the Chancellor's Autumn Statement, plus our weekly livestock and grain market reports. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme. With Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. The umbrellas and wellies have certainly had a good workout since last we spoke. The farming weather forecast for this week, as ever, later in the programme. Just ten days now since the Chancellor's autumn statement, there didn't seem to be much in it specifically relating to farming. Brian Richardson from Virgin Money's had time to digest it for us. Your thoughts, Brian?
4: Well, I I think, like all these statements, really, it's when we start to see how government spending spills out. We know that's going to be tighter, which is potentially going to affect agriculture, I think, because it's clear that all the ministries, uh, except the likes of health, are going to be affected. So I think there's certainly going to be a tightening of the belt within DEFRA, and we'll see that come through as policy rolls out. We've also, with a cost-of-living crisis, I think just the tightening of everyone's expenditure, we're seeing and have seen for a month or two now supermarkets perhaps looking at that cost-of-living crisis, if that's the right word, but certainly trying to make sure that uh, they're seen to be doing the right thing with costs. And I think that's now starting just to hit the farming economy and perhaps some of the work we've seen where prices had increased to cover expenses, things are just tightening up a little bit. So I I think we've had in most sectors, and I'd certainly recognising the the challenges that the pig and poultry sector have had, but I think in most sectors, we've perhaps had a period of reasonable stability and even reasonable prices coming through. But that just seems to be tightening up a little bit at the moment.
1: And Brian, how do you see the medium to long term for agricultural businesses? What are you advising your customers to do?
4: The last two years in agriculture, I think it's been fairly benign in some ways. We've been looking at new policy, seeing how that new policy is going to develop prices in the majority of areas. As I say, pig and poultry standing out as, as having its own challenges, but not being too bad. But I think we are starting to see a squeeze coming on in the next 12 months. So from my point of view, it's very much getting our customers and farmers generally, I think, to be planning ahead, looking ahead at what it means for them and doing what actions they can take to just make sure their business is sustainable in the medium to long term. It's not easy.
1: That's Virgin Money's Brian Richardson. Last week saw the AGM at Lincolnshire Showground of the Lincolnshire Rural Support Network, LRSN. Lovely to catch up with some old friends of the farming programme, including charity manager Amy Thomas. How's the year been for LRSN, Amy?
5: So we're busy. We're very busy. Um, we're busier than perhaps we've ever been before. We've supported 173 farming families since April this year already, which is huge. As a comparison, we supported 184 across the whole of last year. And we've already taken more helpline calls at the beginning of November than we have done in the whole of last year. The times are really busy, but not surprising, really. Our farming communities are facing unprecedented change and challenge. And that results in, in stresses and pressures and people reaching out to us for support.
1: Are you finding any different types of issue that you're being presented with?
5: A lot of the time people contact us and it's stress, Um, but that very often is the tip of the iceberg. Once we we kind of sit down with people, we find that there are all sorts of other things going on and undoubtedly people are feeling the pressure at the moment. Still quite a lot of confusion around the change with policy and I think that creates a lot of uncertainty. We do see quite a lot of business-related issues come through, but nine times out of ten it's stress.
1: And of course, Amy, it's important to promote the services that you provide at LRSN and you've taken to the small screen.
5: We have. Because of the confidential nature of our work, we have often find it really hard to demonstrate in a way that's real the difference that we make to people. Uh, So we've had uh, a fantastic uh, research volunteer working with us to help us create a way in which people can share their stories. And it's surprising, a lot of the people we support, they want to tell their own story because they feel that By sharing their story, they might encourage another person who might see them and identify with them and and then pick up the phone. So we've been able to record four short clips. We'll be using those shortly on social media and in presentations, just for a chance to hear about the difference that we really do make to people's lives. Uh, It's quite different me standing up and telling you how many people we've supported as to hearing someone's own story.
1: Are you still in the position where you need more volunteers, more helpers?
5: Absolutely. Uh, when, with our casework increasing and our presence increasing with the Health Hub, we've been out in about 18 events so far this year. So at the moment, I'm particularly looking for volunteers who are interested in coming out and helping at events.
1: Do they need any particular skills, background?
5: A smile and a friendly face. and That, that really is it.
1: And how should somebody who's interested get in touch with you?
5: If you could email us, that would be fantastic, at info at lrsn.co.uk. All
1: right, Amy, thank you. Thank you. The website for information on LRSN, how to contact, etc. is lrsn.co.uk and keep up the brilliant work. Our independent agronomist Sean Sparling was one of the many people at the AGM and somehow we managed to miss each other. But he's here now after a wet, wet, wet week. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good
3: morning to you, Steve. Now, I know I didn't mention the rain last week, but I've got to do this week. A wet old lot once again then. Over 60 mil for me in the last 14 days. And with only six days where I haven't actually registered any rain at all since the 19th of October. And none of those being especially dry apart from the 8th, 11th and. Where a little bit of spraying was possible on the 11th and 12th, but spraying days and drilling days few and far between. Unless a bit of ploughing and drilling was possible after some sugar beet on the kinder land, another inch then in this last seven days. And you start to wonder whether we'll actually turn too many more wheels this side of Christmas. There's no point making an unholy mess, and no point from a crop safety point of view putting herbicides residuals in particular onto waterlogged soil And they are waterlogged. You know, I find it very interesting that since about the 18th of October when it really started with the land wetting rain, although it did spot about with about 10 mil or so over the preceding week or so but since that 18th, 19th of October I've registered over 150 millimeters of rain, but the drains have really only started running in this last 7 days or so so all that 6 inches or so of rain have just been sucked in, into that sponge that is the seedbed so no wonder we've seen so much residual herbicide uptake, no wonder no wonder it's been too wet to drill or travel and no wonder it squelches when you walk on it even on recently drained fields over the last few years where they've been drained they haven't been running either and some of that is due to how dry the topsoil and the top seedbed tilth has been after the hot dry summer but some of that could also be a legacy of 2019 where we saw these soils and fields slump and that lower profile structural damage may therefore still be with us now having seen cracks 3 inches wide and 14 inches deep at least in fields this year at harvest, it's a little unexpected that the water hasn't moved more quickly than it has, but there you are, you know, finally it is doing so, thank heavens for small mercies wheat after spuds, land that was perhaps overworked to a fine tilth, an onion seed bed type tilth, they're holding the moisture far too well, but it's only 6 weeks ago that we were all praying for rain, so it's our own fault anyway, anywho, look it's wet, it's not drying particularly quickly, it looks likely to get a bit wetter I wish I'd worked that a bit harder at school, it must be lovely to have a job where the weather doesn't really matter mustn't it? Now, my agronomy pieces are going to be shorter and shorter over the coming week, not much change this week and although soil temperatures are still warm enough for growth, they're now getting low enough for propizomide amber, so get ready and red a little bit further north on the app so don't worry about a thicker canopy by the way, the curb not hitting the floor isn't the worst of your worries according to years and years of work by Cortever anyway the thicker canopy doesn't seem to inhibit the propizomide from working and that said I do like it to be colder dampen the crop to be opened up a little bit particularly in those thicker bits but each to their own. You have to question whether fungicides for light leaf spot as well in these colder temperatures is actually doing any good at all probably not as much good as a cold few weeks will or a few months few more of those minus two frosts that we took. Sunday into Monday are going to settle the light leaf spot down quite nicely but the forward seed rate that's only just shown FOMA in the last couple of weeks is unlikely to be at any risk of stem canker but those backwards smaller little stuff probably still is so prioritise the smaller more backward bits of seed rate, the smaller the plant the higher the risk worth noting that any Carbetamex, carbetamide crawler has to be used up by the end of November so get that on as soon as possible Propisamide as curb, it doesn't need a dry leaf but if you're putting astra on for the weeds or curbing with a fungicide then that does so do pick your day. Cabbage stem flea beetle larvae as well easy to find in many fields when you cut these plants open. Hard to know what the impact of that's going to be until next year in the spring. In previous years some of these crops have completely folded under the pressure but others have compensated really well so it all depends on the winter and then a good growing season early spring which is going to make the biggest difference. Rape winter stem weevil that can be a localised pest so if you've seen rape winter stem weevil in your crops recently over the last couple of years, pyrethroids seem to be much more effective on rape winter stem weevil than they are in cabby stem flea beetle. so check your tank mix options because it could be possible to pop in a pyrethroid with the propizomide mixes. There's no threshold for rape winter stem weevil so past experience it's your call. Blackgrass continues to appear though in the early drill wheat field which in some cases have got quite high burdens so do check what you've all already done, check the maximum doses and the sequencing restrictions and do stay safe and stay legal. Most of the preems, with the exception of Procluse, which is a clonifen, and avidex which is triolate, can go on post-em, so do check before you go out there spraying. Staying with winter cereals as well, this cooling weather has really reduced the risk of barley yellow dwarf virus, particularly in the recently emerged crops, but aphids are still out there in the untreated, earlier drilled crop. Crops drilled in September and treated since then are unlikely to need another spray. There are plenty of little spiders and bees, beetles out here in the field you know just look on a wet dewy morning and you'll see the amount of spiders that there are in these fields and reinvasion by winged aphids very unlikely so just monitor the job as you go grain store issues as well out here hot dry harvested grain put into store and very few days where the ambient air has been cool enough to pump it through and cool down that stored grain so as it's coming cooler over the next few weeks just plan to reduce that stored grain temperature to below five degrees. Celsius. Better to be far proactive in stored grain against pests. So watch the weather forecast. Put pitfall traps out as well in the heat to monitor what's about in there and treat accordingly. You don't want rejected crops or even a serious pest issue. Not this year, especially. And finally, possibly some policy changes coming from Defra with elms and the local nature recovery schemes targeted as a cost-cutting job. The plan changes to the sustainable farming incentive plan for next year also look like. they could be in doubt so with defra promising clarity before christmas unless you've got to make a decision imminently on extending an existing scheme for five years for example then it might just be wise to hold your fire for a few weeks before putting in a sustainable farming incentive application and on that bombshell
1: let's see what the next seven days bring many thanks sean
0: Farming program with our equipped steel stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years.
1: Profitability versus sustainability conflicting or complementary? The thoughts of NFU Vice President David Exwood, who I met at the recent Midlands Machinery Show in a moment, but first Lincolnshire farmer Colin Chappell. And Colin, let me start by congratulating you on winning the Rawcliffe Bridge Sustainability Award which I gather generated some interest from your local MP. And
2: so I spoke to uh, a few people about this, and they said, well, she's written to you, the door is half ajar, why don't you kick it down and invite her to the farm? So that's what we did. And she came, and she was an hour and a half with us discussing all things about education of school kids, uh, farming, uh, rural crime issues, that sort of thing. Where else would I, as a farmer in Brig in northern Lincolnshire, get that opportunity to talk to an MP? That's the sort of thing it's bringing to the party.
1: And that's excellent, and the more we can influence those down in Westminster, the better. I'll ask you the same question I asked on the programme a couple of weeks ago. Can a farm be both profitable and sustainable, and how?
2: Okay, the two sort of go hand in hand. You need to be profitable to be sustainable, and you have to be sustainable to have a future in farming, in my opinion. So the short answer is yes, the two go hand in hand.
1: Colin, I'm not going to ask you how profitable you are, but how do you maintain that sustainability on your farm?
2: We're in an eight-year, seven, eight-year process where our uh, single-farm payment is going to disappear. I started this process four years because I was worried about the sustainability of my farm, especially without that help in the background, shall we say. So I started focusing on soil health. If your soil is not healthy, your plants are not healthy, and you will not have a healthy profit. So we moved the soil a lot less, we did a carbon audit, the carbon audit proved that in a tonne of wheat, half of that carbon dioxide equivalent footprint is associated with nitrogen fertiliser, so we started focusing hard on nitrogen fertiliser. We're trying to reduce the nitrogen fertiliser by reducing the amount we put on our crops, we then reduce all other inputs to those crops.
1: So it's a long-term project obviously for you, that's not affected your bottom line adversely then?
2: No. So we've reduced our fuel use we with maintaining yields and profits whilst reducing our inputs. And therefore, the bottom line is staying the same, even though the single farm payment is already being reduced.
1: And in addition to maintaining profitability and sustainability actually on the farm, you're looking even longer term by working with the Countryside Trust and organising school visits
2: as a farmer, you can talk about sustainability, you can talk about profits, you can talk about uh, biodiversity, etc, etc. But you say it in farmer talk. If you get somebody from the country trust that is with you holding your hand in inverted commas while the kids are here, you can then convey what you're trying to say in a language that the kids understand in a wide open space, listening to birdsong, showing them the animals and opening their eyes to what we're doing. So that's is one thing i would like to point out the country just helped me in that the charity helped me in that 5.5 percent of my farm is devoted to environmental measures that needs to increase slightly i believe but without the wildlife and the environment and the water and believe it or not, other nature and the weather we couldn't do what we do and we need to work with her rather than try and fight her all the time
1: and i think that's a perfect way to wrap it up colin thank you ever so much for joining us on the farming program
2: No problem. Thank
1: you, Steve. At the recent Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground, I chatted on the subject with NFU Vice President David Exwood. David, of course, Colin Chappell's not the
6: only one doing this. There are some great examples of farms around the country in all sectors doing really great things and farming in a sustainable way. You know, I'm trying to do what I can at home and I see see many farmers doing brilliant things. I was in Cornwall yesterday with a veg producer who was farming in a way that even he probably didn't believe he could farm five years ago. That's why it's great that people come here and engage with it and listen and just sort of open their mind to the possibilities.
1: That's it, isn't it? Being open to new ideas, new suggestions. Farming is such a traditional industry in so many ways. What we're asking people to do is look at things in a different way.
6: I mean, the irony about this, of course, is that many people would say it's a return to good farming practices of 20, 30, 50 years ago. Many would argue there's nothing new in it at all. I mean, focusing on the soil, plant health, good rotation, you know, mixed systems. That circular farming is just old-fashioned mixed farming. And so many would say there's nothing new in it at all. And it's actually about kind of going forwards to go backwards.
1: We've had the announcement over the last few days of the eight billionth person on the planet. Food production and food security's got to be key, hasn't it?
6: The other key message, I think, from this is, and I think it's really important when we're time, when we're looking at the rollout of Elms, is that we do not have enough land in this country or the world to set aside some land for nature and making space for nature and have some land for food production. The key and the solution to that problem of feeding 8 billion people is to get the both from the same piece of land. The crop becomes the habitat, it feeds us and it feeds nature at the same time. Having a balance between the two. Absolutely. At the heart of it is that balance between the environment, making space for nature and food production.
1: And a lot of this comes down to technology, doesn't it? We're talking about changes and different ways of working and still maintaining profitability, still maintaining a good business. Technology's got to play a big part in that.
6: It's definitely part of the mix. The issue there, of course, is you've got to be profitable to be able to afford the technology. And that is the key message, really, that we need that core profitability in food production and, you know, government schemes that are designed to re- incentivise and reward good behaviour for eight people to be able to move in the right direction. And that is probably the key to the problem.
1: Many thanks, NFU Vice President David Exwood. And one final thing from the Midlands Machinery Show where I met David, congratulations on a significant anniversary to Grantham based agricultural engineering firm RC Setchfield. I met the latest family member to the business, Director Hannah Setchfield.
0: It is, it's our 40th year in um, business. Um, my mother and father started it and I'm proud to join at the end of last year. and it's amazing to see that more guys like ourselves are still here fighting amongst the big boys.
1: Well it's good to see. What have you got new at the show?
0: We're proud to have the Coyote range predominantly here with us this year and they're a South Korean compact tractor manufacturer. They're big in America, they're reaching out into Europe and the UK and we're pleased to announce that the new HX series that will be in our yard in December will go up to 120 horsepower um, and then they're going up to 140 horsepower over the next couple of years.
1: So do they specialise in the smaller end of the market?
0: Small end at the moment but they're verging into that bigger end. for most farmers, we've got the range that they need if it's to do the paddocks, but it is also to do those, those bigger fields and that, um, basically to do those bigger jobs. We've got the equipment to do it.
1: And if somebody wants to know more about the KOT, where would they go?
0: We've got it all on our website, www.setchfield.co.uk. All
1: right, Anna, thank you. Thank you. Midlands Machinery Show is back at Newark Showground on the 15th and 16th of November next year. This week, crop tech returned to Peterborough and we'll hear about some new tech for farming from the show next week. Time for our
7: weekly market reports now, starting with livestock from Laos auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Laos. Starting with the cattle and the clean cattle for a start. See heifers to 272 pence per kilo or £1,509 for F. Wallace and Son of Biscathorpe, with steers to 240 pence per kilo or £1,317 for J.C. Scolia Bournemouth. Onto the cool cows, which top at 174 pence per kilo and grows £1,370 for Martin Paul of Borrelly Marsh. And while moving on to the store cattle, both the steers and heifers top at £1,085 with steers for W.H. Jakes and Sons and heifers for C.A. Oliver. That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the sheep. And a tremendous show with increased number See lambs all in average 251.39 pence per kilo with an SQQ of 251.29 pence per kilo, just showing how dear those heavy lambs were. Top in the lump goes to LJ Fairburn & Sons of Falsor at £140 per head, while the pence per kilo is topped by H. Smith & Sons of Feddlethorpe at 300 pence. On to the Cool use, similar number, however, trade up some £20 to £25 on average to all-in average this week, £113.13, which will make us probably one of the dearest markets this week, as I record this on Tuesday. Top goes to RH Homes Partnerships at £168. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week, both buyers and vendors. Quick reminder, tomorrow is our annual Christmas fat stock with charity auction, raffle and showing of cattle, sheep and produce. All are welcome. Selling of cattle will start from 2 o'clock. Judging will start from 12. So if you're about and want to pop in, by all means come and have a look. All classes of commercial cattle and sheep will still be sold and required for tomorrow's market as well. So please not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver and to the grain market,
1: Openfield's Kit Dickinson.
8: Good morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The wheat market continues to grind lower as it searches for fresh input that will prompt shorts to cover their positions. The advent of algorithms and growing spec community has increased activity on the arbitrage, intra-market and commodity spreads, and the algorithms have created a market that has become reactive to the latest news headlines, some of which are the same story that has been regurgitated. The fund's short position on seabot wheat is 8.5 million metric tonnes, which is not insignificant and to some extent understandable, as the US wheat struggles to buy export demand. Conversely, French exports are struggling to stay on track to reach their 75-80% to by the end of December, with reports of 600-700,000 to tonnes of new sales to China this week, and at least two cargoes of Polish, German and Baltic wheat to the US East Coast. A sign of fast-paced EU French exports have been the inverse on the matif wheat futures market, with buyers looking to take delivery against the December contract due to the lack of farm selling. There is unwavering belief that the export corridor will remain open despite another sustained attack by 70-plus cruise missiles on the Ukrainian infrastructure this week, which has cut power supplies, including to the ports. The extension of the corridor for a further 120 days was automatic and included the original agreement. It appears that Putin did not get any cut in sanctions, in particular the reinstatement of the main Russian ag bank to the SWIFT system or to request the ship Russian Ammonia via the Ukrainian pipeline. Vessel inspections are still painfully slow, waits for at least 20 days, the norm, which is keeping freight rates extremely high. With winter fast approaching, it does remain to be seen whether the grain flow via the corridor continues against a backdrop of power outages, fuel shortages and damage to infrastructure, which will affect logistical capabilities. Winter planting in the Ukraine is down 40%, whilst 50% of their maize crop is still in the field and likely to remain there until the spring. There is also the possibility that Putin will pull the plug. So looking at barley this week, the UK and European malting barley markets have been inactive for at least the last week. Large falls in the UK, French and USA wheat futures markets have put further pressure on the technical malting barley values, although for some malting barley prices have been detached from wheat as it has its own problems. Malting barley remains in a significant surplus in the UK and Europe. Farm sellers are now repairing, but we have been forecasting for some time. It's no longer a question of price or premium. There are just no buyers. Oilseed rate. Motif rape seed, has seen a significant drop, losing €80 euros since the 1st of December. There have been many factors influencing, but rapeseed has largely been following the falling crude oil and energy markets. Domestic bids have dropped, which has slowed trade sellers to hold on for better levels. Crude oil has seen a week of volatile trading, hitting the lowest since early January on Monday before recovering and rising 1% on Tuesday as top exporter Saudi Arabia said OPEC was sticking with output cuts and could take further steps to balance the market. On Thursday, the proposed price cap on Russian oil from the Group 7 nations was considered higher than the current trading levels, making it attractive for Russia to continue to sell its oil, reducing the risk of supply shortage in the global oil markets. This added the downward pressure along with the build in the US gasoline inventories and widening the COVID-19 controls in China. So looking at prices this week, wheat for December 230 to 240 pounds, January 236 to 246, March 238 to 248, May 240 to 250 and November 23 new crop 225 to 232. Milling wheat premiums are circa 40 pounds for old crop wheat. Barley, limited prices pre-Christmas and January, unless more buyers come forward. February, feed barley is 220 to 230. Moving forward to May at 226 to 236. November, new crop 195 to 205. And lastly, all seed rate for December, 470 to 477. January, 473 to 483. March, 475 to 485. And May, 477 to 487.
1: Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five day forecast. Looks like a drier, calmer week with some sunshine, but chilly though. Light northeasterly breezes for Sunday and Monday, dry with daytime highs around 9 Celsius and down to 5 overnight. Much the same for the middle of the week, maybe a degree or two warmer under cloudy skies. And we may see some light rain towards the end of the week, otherwise, more of the same higher pressure keeping things calm and settled for the most part next week we'll look at some new farming tech on display at the recent crop tech show and return to the autumn winter danger that is hair coursing look forward to seeing you if you're at fat stock in louth tomorrow i'm steve orchard until next week's farming program brings you the week in agriculture have a great week
0: the Farming Programme, with Araquip Steel Stockholders, with Ambrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 Accredited.